You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. everybody, this is Chuck Marone with Strong Towns. Welcome back to the Strong Towns podcast. We spend a lot of money in this country fighting congestion, and we do it often in the name of relieving uh, things like greenhouse gas emissions and reducing uh, travel time and increasing economic growth and development. I have on the line with me today, Susan Handy. She is with the University of California in Davis, and she is one of the co-authors of a very interesting report that talks about induced demand. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, can you just talk a little bit about induced demand? What is it and and you know, why are you why are you studying it? Well, actually the term I prefer to use is induced travel. Um so if you think about demand as being kind of the underlying demand that people have to get from one place to another. Um, that's that's one thing. And what we're talking about here is the effect that highway expansion, either expanding an existing highway, building a new highway, uh, what that the impact that that has on the amount of travel that people do. In other words, does the expanded capacity let people satisfy more of that underlying demand? Sure, so that's sure. kind of a fine point, but... Um, uh, an important distinction. So usually we, we're, we're now talking about induced travel as the uh, phenomenon in question. Okay. So people have, essentially, when people have a certain amount of demand that can either be filled or unfilled by the system. And right. you're talking about whether the system has the capacity to fill every trip everybody would want to make. Right, exactly. Okay. So talk a little bit about the relationship between the projects that we do to relieve congestion and the impact that that has on induced travel. Yeah. So the, you know, the question is when we build a new highway, um, we are, you know, we're often hoping that that's going to help relieve congestion, that congestion relief is one of the, um, uh, the benefits uh, that we use to justify those those investments in expanding the highway system. So the question is, does it work? You know, if we expand the highway system, do we actually reduce congestion? So there have been a number of studies out there looking at this question, and I, I should note that I haven't done um, a study of this type myself, uh, but my colleague Marlon Bournette and I reviewed the studies that other people had done uh, on behalf of the California Air Resources Board, and we, um, uh, you know, we pulled out the the more rigorous studies and then summarized what they were saying about the impacts of adding capacity to the highway system. Talk a little bit about the uh, the efforts of greenhouse gas reduction. The, I've seen a lot of programs, and, and at the federal level, and certainly in California, a lot of the programs that fund transportation improvements are funding them under the guise of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. We reduce congestion, and then because traffic can flow more smoothly, people aren't just sitting there stuck in traffic, 
the theory is we have a, a reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Is that how things actually turn out? Well, not, not so not so exactly. So, yeah, this is all tied together. The idea is you expand capacity, you reduce congestion. By reducing congestion uh, and moving traffic more smoothly at more moderate speeds, you will reduce emissions not only of greenhouse gases but uh, air pollutants. So that last piece is technically true. If traffic is moving more smoothly, we know that and at, at um, speeds that are, um, you know, above stop-and-go conditions, but um, people are not speeding. So if you're, you know, in the 50 to 60-mile-an-hour range, um, that tends to be where emissions are minimized. Okay, so that part of the equation is is pretty firmly and scientifically established. Uh, so the big question is, does expanding the capacity in some way or projects like, um, you know, improvements to traffic signal timing that are designed to smooth the flow of traffic, do projects like that actually have any impact on congestion? So that's where the studies that we reviewed come in. And it is, it's not an easy thing to study. Uh, to really sort out um, what what's happening, you know, with real-world data. Um, so the studies have used a number of different methods. And what we found is, uh, you know, a very consistent um, finding that after the capacity of the system has been expanded, after you add lanes or build a, no, a new facility, um, there is an increase in the amount of driving in the system that is a result of that increase in capacity. So um, in the short term, you may get a, you know, if you increase capacity by 10%, you get a 3 to 6% increase in traffic. So you do get some congestion reduction benefits, but not as much as you would think, um, because because of this three to six percent induced traffic. Uh, but the problem then is, in the long run, uh, you may get back to exactly where you started. So a ten percent increase in capacity can lead to a, in some studies, it's shown a ten percent increase in in the amount of vehicle travel uh, over some you know five to ten year period of time. In other words, uh, after some time, there's absolutely no congestion reduction benefit to so that sense, capacity. We're going, in, we're going in the opposite direction of what the policy intention is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, it's not, you know, not to say that there are no benefits from adding that capacity because you are accommodating more travel, uh, but in terms of reducing congestion and thus reducing emissions you're not getting that benefit. And of course, not only are you not reducing congestion, which would get you some reduction in emissions, you're increasing the total amount of travel, which is increasing uh, emissions, so that the net benefit to emissions uh, goes away because of this induced travel effect. I think as engineers, th th there's been a certain sense 
for a long time now that we could build our way out of congestion and, and budget issues are obviously forcing us to rethink that. But let's say that budget was not an issue. Is, is that still a, a, you know, is that an idea that has just not been tested or is that an idea that's been tested and been found to simply not be true? Yeah. Well, you know, you look back 100 years and our cities were pretty darn congested and we were talking about expanding uh, capacity in order to reduce congestion. Um, you know, for the last 50, 60 years, we've been investing vast sums of money in our highway system in an effort, uh, at least in part, to reduce congestion. And where are we today? Would anybody say our congestion is any less uh, than it was uh, back when we started this whole effort? So I think, you know, regardless of the money issue, which of course is a huge issue, um, there is a growing understanding, but certainly not a consensus in the, the transportation field that, in fact, expanding capacity is not going to get us out of this congestion problem. And, you know, underlying that, it's a, you know, it's a very simple economic principle of supply and demand. Essentially, when we're, you know, we, we expand the, the system, we're expanding the, you know, the, the capacity, the supply, we are making it cheaper for people to drive from a time standpoint. Uh, and then what do people do if, if you make a product cheaper? And they use they're, more, right. They're going to consume more. So that's, you know, that's what happens. It gets easier to um, drive from point A to point B uh, with the new highway. So people are going to choose to do that more often. Uh, maybe they'll shift from a much closer destination to a farther destination. They may shift from taking the bus to uh, to driving instead. Um, over the longer term, having that new highway there is going to affect what kind of development happens where, which could then lead to more travel in that area. So um, you add capacity, you reduce the price, people consume more. And that's the simple economic principle underlying this induced travel effect. Essentially, if I would not have taken a trip before because the road was congested, now I'll, now I'll take that trip because I can do it at a low cost to my time because there's no congestion delay. And then yeah. I join with all my neighbors in making that rational decision, and then, bam, the congestion's back, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. as I said, you know, we've, we now have more travel, and that uh, that could be a good thing from the standpoint of the economy or society. Um, but we're not getting rid of congestion, and we are adding to the environmental costs. We see all the time where political people, but also policy people, will make these really strong arguments that adding capacity and investing in essentially more roads and, and more highway capacity will increase employment and economic activity. In fact, the American Society of Civil Engineers has put out some reports that draw very kind of definite correlations between economic growth and expansion of highway capacity. Your findings seem to suggest otherwise. Well, again, it's a very hard thing to, uh, to, to definitively determine, right, because there's so many different things that go on. But, um, you know, the studies we reviewed, um, 
mostly concluded that if you looked at the entire region, that the investments in highway capacity were not contributing to overall economic growth. Uh, and, you know, it is a little bit of a chicken and an egg question. I mean, where are you going to be investing in highway capacity? Well, it's where, you know, economic growth is happening and congestion is getting worse, which then creates this political pressure to to expand the system. So I think that one's... Um, yeah, I think that one's uh, not been entirely uh, decided, uh, but there certainly is evidence both ways, uh, including evidence that the, the investments in the highway system are not driving uh, growth at a regional scale. You actually suggest, and this is the first time I've seen this suggested in a research paper like this, but you, you actually suggest that there are places where we've reduced capacity, where we've actually seen economic benefits from that. Well, it, yeah, it does appear so. I mean, a place like San Francisco, where um, there were two significant free stretches of freeway that were removed uh, following the Loma Prieta earthquake back in 1989. It took many years after that to remove them, but they were they had been damaged and earthquake was the rationale for taking them out. And, um, you know, there were a lot of, there was a lot of outcry that this is just going to make traffic uh, come to a complete standstill in the city. Um, but what the city did was invest in um, some improvements to surface streets that would both um, handle some of that traffic, but also... Uh, be more of an amenity for the community, and it's been a total success. Traffic did not come to a standstill. Um, it's you know it's exactly the reverse of adding capacity. When you you change the capacity of the system, people adjust in one way or another. Um, so traffic did not get um, measurably worse, and. Um, that some lovely parts of the community were created as a part of uh, as a part of this effort, um, you know, bringing more sort of economic activity to these parts of the city. Um, you know, Europe has done a lot more of this than we have. There are a few other examples of removing freeways in the U.S., but not a whole lot. Uh, but think about European cities where they um, they close down streets in the core of the city to cars. Uh, and it's completely tied into economic uh, development kinds of efforts within those cities. Uh, and they are certainly thriving. Um, you know, of course, there uh, people are much more readily willing to jump on a streetcar or get on a bus or their bike uh, to, to go downtown than in the U.S., so not clear that it would work uh, so successfully here. Um, but the point being that... Um, you know, it, it can work, and, um, you know, sometimes communities are a lot better off with less capacity for cars uh, than they would be with more capacity for cars. Have we crossed over a point, and, and excuse me, but we may have, you know, I, I, I'm going to ask this question, and you can take it however you want. Have we crossed over a point of diminishing returns for highway construction? And, and not only that, but is there a, a point where when you force a society to to experience mobility in one dimension, 
uh, and, you know, take away the ability to get around, say, by foot or by bike. Do do you change an economy in a way where you do experience those diminishing returns at some point? Yeah, I don't don't know that I think about it in terms of diminishing returns so much. Um, I mean, maybe it's diminishing returns to quality of life, uh, where if we continue to invest in the highway system, we're simply perpetuating this dependence on driving as our way to get around and get to the places we need to get to. Um, so there is a lot of shift in thinking in the transportation planning field, uh, at least, about the need to invest in alternatives to driving, whether it's transit or walking and biking, and that that, in fact, is the, the, the solution to congestion. So the solution is not to eliminate or reduce congestion, because we've been trying that for a long time and not succeeding, but rather the solution to congestion is to give people alternatives so that you can choose not to be stuck in traffic in your car. Um, So, and then I think in addition to that is, you know, as you noted already, is the, the money problem. We simply don't have the kind of money it would take um, to expand the system enough to reduce congestion even in the short term, and we know it wouldn't work in the long term anyway. But we also have a space problem. I mean, where would you, how can we continue to expand the system uh, in existing metropolitan areas? There just simply isn't room. And a place like California, you know, LA, they managed to cram in a couple more lanes on the 405 recently, but it was, you know, a huge hugely expensive uh, and uh, really disruptive effort to try and squeeze in a little more capacity in the space that we have. So I think, you know, those sorts of constraints um, are another reason for us to be uh, moving away from this traditional focus on expanding the, the highway system as the solution to our transportation problems. Is there a parallel takeaway here for local officials, for you know, local officials and advocates in cities, not necessarily at the state or the federal level? Yeah. Is there a is there a takeaway for them from your research? Yeah, I think so. Well, I think they already get it a lot more um, than at the state level. I mean, state departments of transportation, it's been their job for you know a century or thereabouts. Um, to build and maintain the state highway system. Um, they own and operate um, the, the highways, the freeways. Uh, you know, that's never been a responsibility of local government. So local governments is always, have always, uh, you know, put priority on local streets. So I think they've, you know, they sort of get it better from the start, I guess. And in fact, they've been you know, resisting uh, highway expansions through their jurisdiction uh, in many parts of the U.S. Um, going back to the 1950s and 1960s. So, so I think they get it already. I think they get that that adding to the capacity is 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 going to be a, a negative thing for their communities in most cases. You know, and this isn't to say that. There are no new highways that should be built, or we should not be um, fixing some of these horrible interchanges that we have. I think uh, we've just got to be strategic about where we invest our our limited 
funding to really deal with particular problems in the system, and we need to be realistic about what it is we're getting out of that, that it may not have, uh, you know, maybe more about a safety fix rather than uh, any possibility of reducing congestion. Susan Handy, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I was in Davis last Friday, and it it's just beautiful. I, I thought it was a spectacular place. It is a charming little town with a whole lot of bicycling. <laughs> well, we do some bicycling this time of year, but in Minnesota, uh, the best bicycling probably in a few months. So I'm sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll uh, make sure and pass along this report to as many people as we can. Great. Thank you very much. Yep, fun take to care. Participate. Bye. Bye-bye. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Keep doing what you can to build strong towns. We need your help. If you think the Strong Towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Bill, 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 Bill. That's a story. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, Magnet City! I like you. I like your vision of the of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.